Welcome to Practicing, an ongoing conversation about spiritual practices. My name is Jason Pfeffer, and I will be your host on this journey. I am so glad you are joining us. In this podcast, we are exploring different ways of practicing our faith. We practice our faith because, well, because we're all practicing, aren't we? Growing each day in our ability to follow Jesus and his teachings takes practice. Christian spiritual practices are not great lofty activities for really serious Christians. They are for anyone who wants to follow Jesus. Spiritual practices are simply any activity that helps us become attentive to the presence of Jesus in our everyday lives. Because in his presence, we are formed by Jesus to be like Jesus for the sake of the world. In this first season, we are exploring the basics of spiritual practices. What are they? Why are they important? What do they do? And where do they come from? We want to demystify spiritual practices so that we can clearly see how they may help us follow Jesus. Coming along on this journey, we have the incredible Jenny Potter. Jenny is producing this little endeavor. We're grateful for her wisdom and for keeping us on track. You'll get to hear from her just a little bit later. And I'm also joined by the most amazing co-host, Andy Moss. Andy, I'm excited to have you along for these conversations, my friend. Jason, I, I appreciate your welcome. It's great to join you. And I, I can safely say I'm full of anticipation. I hope to learn a lot. <laughs> I love it, Andy. I, I do have one little question, hoping you can help me out with something here. Biscuits, cookies, cookies, biscuits, oh, help, me, yeah. help me understand what's yeah. going on with that. Well, biscuits, biscuits is the full family of what you would call cookies. We have all kinds of biscuits out there, but cookie in, in Britain is a very particular, very particular beast, if you like. I love it. I don't, I don't care what you call it. Um, I want to eat it. Absolutely. I, I, yeah. And, and I love them have chocolate in, so you, you can't really go wrong with those. Perfect. Ruth, are you a biscuit or a cookie person? Well, I really like the idea of biscuit. I think that sounds really intriguing, you know, very and very classy. Just Absolutely. seems really classy and a much classier word than cookie. Yeah. Although it's not so classy when you dunk it in your tea and oh. then it gets all soggy and falls mm -hmm. into the tea. Yeah, right. That's not classy then mm -hmm. at that point. You've kind of lost mm -hmm. lots yeah, of classiness. It's, it's kind of like Ruth, Ruth, you prefer the classy. Does that mean you spell theater R-E instead of E-R? Well, it does because here's a little known fact. I went, I lived in Canada when I was in third and fourth grades where you're learning how to spell. And so I'm always still making the mistake of spelling something like a word like that with an R-E rather than E-R. <laughs> yeah. I still make that mistake because yeah. it's in me so deep. So. I do put use randomly in words as well, like color. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. That's so yeah. funny that you know that because yeah. I do do that. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, friends, that, uh, that voice that you heard right there was Ruth Haley Barton. In this episode, the question we are exploring is why are spiritual practices important? And we're joined by Ruth Haley Barton. Ruth is an author, a teacher, a retreat guide, a spiritual director. She's founder and president of the Transforming Center, a ministry that creates space for God to strengthen leaders and transform communities. She's also written some amazing books, just a few of them, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Sacred Rhythms, and uh, Invitation to Retreat. And she hosts a wonderful podcast herself called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership. So Ruth, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks so much for joining. Oh, it's good to be here. Thanks, just keeping Ruth. our relationship going. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, Ruth, our question for today is why are spiritual practices so important? Mm. So why are spiritual practices so important? Well, spiritual practices give us a way of opening to God that creates space for God to come in and do God's transforming work. And 
I find that to be so relieving because so much of what we think about in the Christian life sometimes is us trying really hard and working really hard. But spiritual practices rightly understood are concrete activities that we can engage in that create space for God to do what only God can do. And I'm a pastor's kid and have been a very serious Christian since I was four. And when I began to learn about spiritual practices in such a way that all I have to do is show up and open and then God does the really important work. That was so relieving to me when I realized that that's what a person could do uh, with God is, is show up, do some things that we're capable of doing. And then God comes in and actually does the real work. And I find, I find spiritual practices to be quite restful because of that. As you're talking, I'm just thinking, how does, how does that work? So we, we engage in a particular practice and we open ourselves up and then God comes in and does the work. Talk more about mm-hmm. that. How does that, how does that work? How does that happen? Well, to answer that question well, I need to talk about maybe concretely some specific disciplines. Is it okay to do that rather than of so general? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Good. So in the practice of solitude and silence, for instance, um, I can show up, I can, I can set aside the time and I can show up knowing how to put my feet flat on the floor, knowing how to open my hands, knowing how to breathe, um, knowing how to set aside distraction for 10 minutes, if that's the time frame that I've set. That I can physically actually do. What I can't do is calm myself down. What I can't do is transform myself. What I can't do is force something to happen with God. That's what God does. As I show up faithfully in the practice of solitude and silence, I begin to notice that, wow, the internal chaos is starting to settle down. I really am more calm on the inside over time. Wow, I really did hear God say something to me about an area of my life that I'm concerned about. Wow, I am a little bit more loving, you know, when I emerge from this place. I can actually tell what God wants me to do or say in a moment and do it. Those are the things I can't do for myself, but in solitude and silence, they start to happen. And it is so exciting when those things start to happen in my life. And I've seen it happening now for 20 20 years. Yeah. And you have a really great analogy for what happens when we slow down in solitude and Mm -hmm. silence with the river water. Would you share that? Yes. Yeah. So when I was um, in my early 30s and uh, had been a pastor's kid and involved in church and a serious Christian all my life, but realizing that I wasn't really changing. I mean, now that is a shocking situation. When you have been going to church three to five times a week for all your life, you have been raised in a Christian home, you've been on staff at different churches, you've been studying the Bible and all that sort of thing, but you realize you're still still the same selfish clod that you used to be, you know, and that you're struggling with the basics of Christian life, like being kind to your spouse or being generous with your children. I mean, seriously, to have gotten to my early 30s, having been involved in spiritual things that long and to realize I'm not really changing, that was a stunning moment in my life. So then to be offered the opportunity to enter into these practices has been an amazing thing. And in my early journey with Solitude and Silence, when a good spiritual director said, Ruth, what you, you know, you're, you're, you're like a jar of river water all shaken up. What you need is to sit still long enough so the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. That was such a compelling invitation to me at that time because, first of all, I realized that some of the traditional language for what can happen in the life of a Christian person had gone really cold for me. It didn't mean anything anymore. The images that I'd heard taught from scripture and things like that. But this idea of the jar of river water that had been sitting still long enough so the sediment could settle 
and the water could become clear. That image called to me and I thought, that that's it. That's what I want to be. I want to be the jar of river water that's been sitting still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water can become clear. That's what I want. And then I also had to acknowledge that that's not what I was, mm. that I was not someone that had the piece that passes understanding in the depths of my being. I was actually all riled up most of the time. And so I had to, to really own the fact that these very basic aspects of the Christian life, like being at peace on the inside, those were not true of me. Um, so it was a moment of self-revelation, realizing that I really was a jar of river water all shaken up. But then there was a vision of what I could be, that I could be, be a jar of river water that had sat still long enough for the sediment to settle in the water to become clear. And what I mean by the water becoming clear is that I'm quiet enough and calm enough on the inside that I can discern God's presence with me. I can discern something that God might have to say to me. I can settle into a place of deeper faith and confidence in God that's beyond my own frantic striving and, and doing. Um, to experience, not just know about God's love for me, but to really experience it in those moments that God is there loving me, even when I'm not doing anything. Those are the greatest gifts of the spiritual life. And they come by being willing to sit still and allow God to do that really good work. You know, Richard Rohr has said that a good journey begins with knowing where you are and being willing to go someplace else. Mm -hmm. And that image, that, that image of the jar of river water helped me to name who I was and then also helped me to see where I wanted to go. So that's been very powerful for me and it continues to be. It's not just 20 years ago. These practices are still the core practices of my life. I'm very intrigued by what, what you've just said. And I'm wondering why, why do you think God chooses to work with us in that way? Why does he require us say in, in this particular case to, to be still? Why is spiritual practice necessary? Why doesn't he just change us as we go about our daily daily lives? Oh, well, that's a really lovely question. The verse in the, in the Psalms that says, be still and know, indicates to me that there's a kind of knowing that happens in the stillness that doesn't come in the frantic doing. There's a kind of knowing that comes when we, are, when we give attention. So if you think about a, you know, a relationship that you're in, whether it's a dating relationship with someone new or a friendship or a marriage relationship, we all understand that there's a kind of growing that takes place in that relationship when we can give our full attention to each other. Yeah, there's a kind of growth in the relationship when you're out there doing stuff together, being busy together and being involved in activity. But then, you know, we also know that there's this intuitive knowing and longing to just sit with that person and be attentive to them and receive who they are and receive what they have to give and you want to offer yourself as well. And those are the quieter moments, but they are absolutely essential for the growth of a relationship. And so I think our relationship with God is exactly the same. Okay. That God is very present with us when we're out there doing our life, doing our job, raising our kids, going to soccer games, all that. God is very present then, just as present as, as he is in solitude and silence. But it's the attentiveness, the ability to turn your attention towards each other that causes a relationship to grow and to flourish. Okay. I've found the idea of God's presence and being present. I find sometimes that a little hard to understand or make concrete perhaps. So that, that word you're using there of attention, mm -hmm. that is that a big part of spiritual practices and God's presence, the idea of paying attention and being yes. attentive. Yes. And Mary Oliver has this wonderful line where she says that attention is the beginning of devotion. Mm. Uh, and okay. um, so, you know, we, we like to talk about devotions. We like to talk about fully devoted Christ followers. And she's backing it up a step and saying, 
attention is the beginning of devotion. That in order to be devoted, you have to first be willing to give that person your basic attention. Right. And that, that picture you gave of a human relationship is, yeah. is very helpful in understanding mm -hmm. that, I think. Yeah, like even a married couple, they're very busy doing wonderful things and they're no less married just because they're busy, right? They're right. married all the time, yeah. right? We're with God all the time. But, when, but there are moments when a married couple says, you know what, we've just got to get away for the weekend. We've got to have dinner together. We need to have some relaxed time. We need to return to those things that we love doing together. Yeah. And so you're no more married when you're away for the weekend than you are when you're back at home taking kids to soccer games. But the experience of it is different, you know, because uh, yeah. uh, in that attention that you give to one another, you, you experience your intimacy. Uh, you fall in love all over again. You feel passion. You do those things that you enjoy together. Um, and it makes you feel married, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Uh, you get to feel married uh, yeah. when you when you get away for the weekend. And yeah. It's lovely and wonderful, and I think that's what solitude and silence gives us in our relationship with God. So they're really for our benefit rather than God's. Yeah, God does not. I I often say God does not need our spiritual practices okay. to find us. That's we need know. our spiritual practices <laughs> in order to open to all that God wants to give. Okay. Yeah, God's going to find us one way or the other, but um, the intimacy that we're longing for, the spiritual practices give us a way to open. To the intimacy that we're longing for. I, th I think about that and I think of the, the, again, that image of the river water settling and the kind of love, connection, attentiveness, intimacy. Mm -hmm. I feel like that, that there's something in that that our culture is longing for, mm -hmm. this core desire in each of us for this, this life of intention and attention and being present in communion with God. There's something in that, that that I think we all long for at the deepest level. Well, we're actually made for it. You know, we're actually created for it. So when we're not finding it and experiencing it, we feel empty way down deep. We might have lives that are very full and busy, but there is this longing underneath that I think these days it doesn't take very long to touch it. Mm -hmm. um, because our culture is moving so fast and there's so much distraction, people really are longing for substance that mm -hmm. life in the culture just doesn't naturally give. Yeah. Well, now Ruth, you've, you've talked about this in the context of silence and in solitude. Mm -hmm. What about some of the other spiritual practices that yeah. maybe some people who are very early on in their journey and their faith, mm -hmm. um, things like scripture and prayer, how would you speak into some of those practices, the importance, the value, what happens in uh, a spiritual practice involving scripture, involving yeah. prayer? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, my own bias on all of this is that spiritual disciplines rightly practiced always confront our issues of control. Hmm. So spiritual practices rightly understood and, and practiced take us to this place of giving up control in order to allow God to initiate with us and for God to have God's control and God to take initiative on in our lives. So the challenge with spiritual practices is always to somehow find a way of returning them to God's hands so that God can use them in, in God's hands in our lives for his purposes, not our own. Because, you know, many of us approach things like prayer and scripture with our own agendas. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I come to prayer because there are certain things I want to get from God today. And so I have an agenda when I come to prayer. So a spiritual practice, when I practice it spiritually, I'm seeking to open to God's initiative as opposed to me coming in with my own agenda. The same is true with scripture. We all have many agendas with scripture. Um, we want to 
you know, learn more about God, which is great. But maybe sometimes we're in the midst of an argument with somebody and we start trying to prove text, you know, prove our point with scripture. Maybe if we're a person in leadership, we're seeking to lead a Bible study or preach a sermon or something like that. So those are good ends, but there are ends. There are agenda with scripture. So what I'm always looking for in, in the spiritual practices uh, writ large are the ways in which we use them to let go of control so God can be in control. So in some ways, you can look at all of life as prayer, um, and you can look at all the spiritual practices as being some element of prayer. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about solitude and silence, I'm really talking about silent prayer, or centering prayer, or contemplative prayer, or the prayer of the heart, as Henry Nouwen talks about it. When I look at scripture, we all have a longing to hear a word from the Lord, and so there are practices that actually make it possible for us to open to the word that God has for us beyond our own control. So practices like the use of a common lectionary, for instance, that is a practice with scripture. The use of a common lectionary, like the revised common lectionary, um, mean that I'm giving up control and letting God bring to me the scriptures for, for myself this day. I'm not, you know, using the back of a Gideon Bible when I feel angry, look at this scripture, or choosing my own way uh, of, a, of approaching scripture. When I use a common lectionary, I'm giving control to God and saying, God, you bring whatever you have for me through the use of a common lectionary. When I work with the practice of Lexio Divina, which um, I'm sure some of those who are listening would know that, some would not, but Lexio Divina is a slow contemplative reading of scripture that has four moves in it. And in those movements, we actually create space for God to bypass our cognitive filters, to bypass our defenses, to say something to us that we could not have manufactured for ourselves. So yes, to scripture, but also what is the way I'm engaging in scripture that helps me to give up control? The whole practice of finding ourselves in the scriptures, finding my story and God's story as a spiritual practice, not a rifling through scripture to find a, you know, a, a character that I identify with, but actually saying to God, could you help me find my place in your story? And, and you know, of course there's huge guidance given around these practices. Um, if we ask people to enter into them. Um, those are practices that regularly and routinely create space for God to come in and do something that's beyond my own agenda. And that's the key right there, is how I enter in. Am I entering in with my own agenda or am I finding ways to enter into spiritual practices that create space for God to do God's surprising work? Yeah. And just to go back for a second, Ruth, you were mentioning the Revised Common Lectionary. For those who don't know, what Ruth is referencing is uh, a collection of readings that are assigned to each day throughout the, the, the year on the church calendar. And uh, so submitting to those readings would be saying, I'm going to let go of the control of what am I reading this particular day? And I'll read what is prescribed uh, mm -hmm. in the lectionary. And in a sense, there's something really valuable that I've found in, in the lectionary is uh, knowing that there are Christians all over the world today that are reading this passage, this mm -hmm. section from the Old Testament, from the Psalms, from the New Testament, from the Gospels, mm -hmm. that uh, there's something about joining in with the larger global church and reading those passages together. And then the how is important, you know, how I engage. Mm -hmm. Am I engaging just to check the boxes that I've read it today, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. am I engaging because I'm wanting to open to a word from the Lord? And so what I suggest is that if people engage a common lectionary, that they approach it Lexio style, Lexio Divina style, where 
the whole idea is speak Lord for your servant is listening mm -hmm. and you read it slowly and in a contemplative fashion, multiple times, perhaps trying to seek what God has to say to you as opposed to whatever agenda you might have. Mm -hmm. um, so even again, the how and the stance is always extremely important. What is my posture? What is my stance? Even as I read the common lectionary, but I think that engaging a common lectionary, as you said, is definitely a discipline of submission. Mm -hmm. um, I'm submitting to the life of the church writ large, rather than just my own privatized approach to scripture in my life. Yeah. So is, is an implication, say, for someone who's a, a mature and established Christian, they've been coming to the church for a while, and they, they've, they kind of engage in the, the, the expectations of church, reading their Bibles and praying. Are, are you saying, Ruth, that you, you, it's really a case of asking ourselves why we're doing those things? It isn't simply the act of reading the Bible or praying or going to a small group, but when, as we do these things, we should really be asking ourselves, well, why am I doing this? And checking, checking yeah. our... The why and also this posture of receptivity, you know, so God, what do you have in the scripture for me today? And knowing how to listen for that, or as we approach a small group time, really saying to God, what do you have for me through these people, through these brothers and sisters? And um, rather than always coming to foist my own agenda, either on the text or on the small group or on a season of prayer, to rather come with more receptivity. So, you know, a way that we can use prayer towards our own agendas, as good as they might be, is that, you know, we might be trying to pray around the world in 30 days or less. I mean, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. So I remember a day when the, the big thing was to pray around the world in 30 days or less. And you'd have a map and you'd have different countries you're praying for and all that. And I stopped doing intercession because it was so exhausting. Hmm. You know, it was so exhausting to try to pray that way. And now my whole approach to intercession is much more receptive um, much more along the lines of Julian of Norwich. First, I look at God, then I look at you, then I look at God again, that, that I'm willing to sit in an open posture and let God bring to me what God wants me to hold in God's presence today, as opposed to me having an agenda that I'm foisting upon my prayer life where I'm trying to check off boxes. And, and there's just an agenda, a drivenness behind it. It's the, it's the why question, but then there's, there's also ways in which we can enter into these things with a more receptive and open posture rather than an agenda driven one. Okay. So kind of going back to that relational illustration, it's mm -hmm. when intercession is about starting with listening. Is that, am I mm -hmm. hearing you correctly? Yeah. So you listen like you would in the human conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Before you start speaking. Perhaps. Yeah. And we're, and, and perhaps we're letting God lead a little bit more often. So God, what right. are, what are we going to, what are, what are we going to do about that? God, what do you want to talk about today? What do you want to bring to me today? As opposed to me thinking I have all the answers for myself. Got it. We're letting God take more initiative rather than us coming with our agenda. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think solitude and silence as practices help us with this because that is, you know, exactly what they're about is, is settling down our own agenda, letting God take the initiative. And once we start practicing those foundational disciplines, then I think we approach all the other ones slightly differently in a more receptive stance. I heard, I think going back a little, you were talking about kind of being open to God. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if maybe some, some new followers of Christ might be surprised and maybe some more mature uh, followers of Christ might be concerned. Is there, um, is there a distinction between that and maybe the practices of some other faiths mm -hmm. in terms yeah. of how they, they kind of open themselves mm -hmm. to God? Yeah, I mean, people often ask me when I teach on solitude and silence, are you talking about you know, Eastern practice, or you're talking about Buddhism or something. 
And my answer to that is that the intent, if you study Buddhism, now I will say, you know, solitude and silence are practices that are so universal that they are some some aspect of them are practiced in every faith of course, because they're yeah. so significant yeah. yeah they're universal and you'll find different ex- expertise even you know in how to do it like even yeah. some of yeah. the techniques we as protestant christians don't have all the best techniques around solitude and silence because <laughs> we just don't even do it yeah. so we have to learn yeah. from some other traditions but um, in buddhism it's it truly is about emptying and if you read if you read uh, uh, the literature, you'll you'll see and know that in Buddhism you're trying to empty yourself. In a Christian practice of solitude and silence, we're trying to be present to the one who is always present with us. You know, and and I think that's an extremely significant difference. I am okay. not trying to empty; I'm trying to be present to the one who is always present with me. Right. Um, and yeah. I that that distinction right there changes changes everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Another distinction would be the whole the whole function and role of desire in the spiritual life. So in some traditions you're trying to eliminate desire and craving if you will. Mm-hmm. But in my own Christian practice of spiritual disciplines, I believe really strongly that Jesus invites us to communicate with him, you know, about our desire and that there are desires that God has placed within us that God longs to meet. So Psalm 37:4 talks about trusting in the Lord with all your heart and he will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus would often ask people in the New Testament, what do you want me to do for you? What are you seeking? And so I think that's another area that would distinguish a Christian practice of solitude and silence and presence from others is that we're not trying to eliminate desire. We actually believe that God has placed authentic spiritual desires within us, that there's the God-shaped vacuum, if you will. And that if we can get in touch with desire, we're actually getting in touch with a significant fuel for the spiritual journey. So there are some real distinctions. Yeah. And that's why yeah. your question is a good one. And there are, there are many substantive answers to it. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, it's good because I think about the difference between a Christian spiritual practice and other practices that you might even call spiritual practices, mm-hmm. something like mindfulness, which mm-hmm. they, my kids practice mindfulness at school. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's, right. and it's, it's, it's a really helpful practice I mean, to take a, mm-hmm. a really squirrely seven-year-old mm-hmm. and say, for the next 60 seconds, mm-hmm. let's be silent. Mm-hmm. Let's take a deep breath. That's mm-hmm. a really helpful practice. Very good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, it's, but it's not a Christian spiritual practice. Right. It's not a formative spirit. It, it forms me in the moment. It helps to kind of, it's almost more of a behavior modification mm-hmm. than it is actually forming my inner character in Christ-likeness, like a spiritual practice that we're talking about and you're talking about, Ruth, that mm-hmm. is so focused on the... Uh, uh, attention to God's presence, yes. listening mm-hmm. to what God has to say to us. That it's so focused on the presence of God, who is always present mm-hmm. with us, uh, that that changes things in the practice. It really does. And the other thing we could bring in here theologically is the the presence of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That when we practice solitude and silence, prayer, scripture we're actually in concrete ways opening and believing in the real presence of the third person of the Trinity. And we are seeking to be guided by the third person of the Trinity. And I think that's a really important distinction as well, that we as Christians believe that the spirit of Jesus Christ has been given to us through the Holy Spirit and that it can be attended to and that the Holy Spirit is a person, a real person that can be attended to and heard and listened to and responded to. And you're so right to say that that is very different than mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness can help us actually get in touch with spirit if we have a Christian orientation, Mm -hmm. um, because in our mindfulness, we can become aware of the Holy Spirit. 
guiding and moving and living and breathing within us. Mindfulness, the way you just described it, is not distinctly Christian. Yeah. So let me, let me take this and apply it in a, in a slightly different way. So if we're saying that the difference between a, a practice like mindfulness and a practice like silence is uh, a very intentional uh, attention toward the presence of God, we can actually apply that to a lot of the practices. And you touched on this earlier when we were talking about control. That, that can come into play in a lot of the practices that we engage as Christians that we are, are told, like these are practices that every Christian should do. And in reading scripture mm-hmm. and in prayer, that we can actually engage these practices in a way that is that completely ignores the presence of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. The third person of the Trinity. Yep. We can be trying, we can be gaining all sorts of information and never change because we're not opening to the, to the work of the spirit mm-hmm. in the study of scripture. You can study scripture like you can study any other book. That doesn't mean you're being transformed because mm-hmm. we're transformed as we open, as we find ways to open to the spirit working within. Um, and I think that that's probably one reason why the church is so hungry for spiritual practices today is because we have done a lot of spiritual stuff in ways that wasn't necessarily transforming. So I think back to my own childhood when I was being raised in the home of a pastor and being really aware that we were a group of people, all of us who went to church three to five times a week. And some people had been in the church for 50 years and they were still as selfish and manipulative and territorial and competitive and their marriages were bad and they were mean to the pastor. And all of that went on among people who had been in church for 50 years. Nothing had fundamentally changed Mm. in and through all that church going. And in and through all that preaching and in and through all that Bible study, I think that that was one of the seminal moments that brought me to a place of being interested in this whole area of transformation and formation was the fact that I had seen the seamy underbelly of the church as a child and recognized that people could be there all the time and not change. And that was really serious. And then, of course, it gets even worse when you can be, when I noticed that I'd been in church for a long time and hadn't changed either, you know, so I couldn't just point to everybody else. I wasn't changing either. And it was really sobering. And so all of a sudden I was really interested in the question, how do people really change? How does transformation happen? Because I'm seeing a whole lot of people going to church a lot who are not changing. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder, um, as you're saying this, I'm even thinking, I know in, a, in the podcast format, usually this is all information and we're, uh, people are listening in and uh, just taking in the information, but, but I wonder if it makes sense to simply pause for two seconds right now and ask that question, how does that, how does that apply to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you, as you think about your time in church, how, how are you being formed? Uh, how are you becoming more and more Christ-like? Uh, or are you becoming more Christ-like in your practices of coming to church, being a part of a small group, reading scripture and prayer? Again, not saying those things are bad things, but how are we being formed by these? Are they changing us? Are they forming us in Christ-likeness mm-hmm. or not? And if they're not, having a real honest question and, and even listening to God about what might I do differently to invite God more intentionally in to form me in that way. Mm-hmm. As you say that, Jason, a, a thought a thought does come to mind, because as I'm as I'm listening and learning, these these spiritual practices do seem so very important and valuable, um, and yet so many of us don't necessarily use them on a on a regular basis. So, what why do you think for a lot of believers, a lot of Christians, they they seem so mysterious or controversial? 
Ruth? What, what do you think is behind that? Well, I think that Protestantism, for one thing, has, has really been shaped by its being, it's very intellectual, uh, very much in our heads. We have our theological systems and our dogmas, and we think that if we know about God, we've accomplished something. Um, and so it flies in the face of that. These spiritual practices are taking us beyond inform just information to transformation, taking us beyond our systemic ways of thought and things like that. So it confronts that. Um, I also think that these spiritual practices require us to grapple with the idea of mystery, that there are things that happen in our lives that are beyond what we human beings can accomplish for ourselves. And so transformation is definitely in the realm of mystery. Transformation is something only God can do. We as human beings cannot accomplish it for ourselves. We can open to it, but we can't accomplish it for ourselves. And in fact, um, when we begin opening to the process of transformation through these practices, we don't even know who we're going to be in the end. We're going to be our authentic selves, but many of us are so out of touch with that that we, we couldn't even predict who we're going to be when the transformational yeah. journey yeah. is moving along. So, so these practices require us to move beyond control, beyond our own agendas, beyond even the things we think we understand, beyond our dogmas and systemic ways of thinking about God, moving us to a place of being, quote, out of control and given over to mystery, given over to divine activity, given over to divine revelation, um, which I will say that as I use those words, I want to point out that Paul uses those words over and over again in the book of Ephesians. So for those of us who think, well, wow, you know, what is she talking about? Well, Paul was the most learned person in scripture. He was brilliant. Yeah. But in the book of Ephesians, he talks about mystery and enlightenment and divine revelation over and over and over again. So when we enter into the transformational journey, we, we are giving ourselves over to mystery, a mysterious yeah. process that we can't understand, that we can't control, and we cannot predict the outcome. And I'm telling you, that is, that is what most of us would like to avoid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We want that, to change, but we want to stay in control. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's so very helpful because I, I know when Jason was talking about the, uh, the, the vision of the podcast and the, all, the whole idea that um, we were really looking to demystify mm -hmm spiritual practices there seems to be a really good a clear distinction between something that's mysterious and something that's mystifying mm -hmm. that yeah. the spiritual practices shouldn't be mystifying you can understand mm -hmm. them but how they work is is mysterious and that's it's that mysterious, seems yeah. a, a really mm -hmm. helpful distinction to uh, mm -hmm. to kind of draw at this point so that's helpful thank you thank you so much for being with us for taking time out of your busy schedule to have this conversation uh, we're just we're we're grateful for the work that you're doing, the books you're writing, the podcast you're hosting, the teaching that you do, and uh, and grateful for your time with us today. You're welcome. I pray it's an encouragement to your work as well. What a helpful conversation. What stood out for you as you listened? What's sticking out with you, in what Ruth shared? What did you notice? What resonated with you? This is now the part of the podcast where Jenny jumps on the mic and we share what we noticed in the conversation. So Jenny, what resonated with you in our conversation with Ruth today? Uh, so, so much. I, I found so many nuggets in Ruth's words. I think a couple of things really stood out to me towards the beginning, she was talking about this idea and almost this invitation that spiritual practices are restful. Mm. And 
I don't think I've ever heard them described that way. And that felt just like a new barometer to think through that if, if I'm engaging in spiritual practices and they are restful, I'm on the right path and that that is something to be looking for. And then even in her approach, when she was talking through, I think it was the, is it the common lectionary? What was she referencing? Yeah, the revised common lectionary. Yep. That even in that approach, by approaching scripture in that way, where you are not in a consumeristic, Mm -hmm. I'm going to search out what I think I need, but that you're approaching it kind of from almost a surrendered posture, that Mm -hmm. that is actually where God might show up and surprise you because you're not the one in control. Yeah. So even, even simple things like that, I hadn't connected that that actually is also kind of a mind shift of who's really in charge here of, of what's happening and that it gives God maybe even more chances to, to meet with you because you're surrendered in that moment. So those were some things. uh, And then I think really her, her reminders of, uh, God's constant presence. And I've been thinking a lot, where my, plan, my family is planning on going on vacation soon. And I keep thinking about what she was saying when she was talking about you and your spouse are always married, but mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. you're intentionally together, that you get to access a different part of your relationship. And that that mm-hmm. is really what spiritual practices are an invitation to, that God's presence is always constant, but it's, the ability for you to experience it in a new way by being in these places. So it was just a lot of really helpful kind of like slight paradigm shifts for me (laughs) that were accessible. Uh, Yeah. I just, I just found those, you know, words like rest and giving up control. Those are things that I'm really drawn to, especially in this season. I really took away a lot. Yeah. It's interesting. I, when you talk about the rest thing, that what stood out to me in that is, um, how I love having conversations with people like Ruth and Adele and all of the other people we're talking to in this season, people who are much farther down the road than I am because you hear them say something like that and you go, oh, I want the practices to be restful for me. I want to have that feeling. And it's one of those things that keeps me, I mean, it's one of those things that motivates me and kind of keeps me going like, ooh, like this is something that can be in my future if I continue down this path and living with Jesus in my everyday life. Like this is, this is the direction that I'm heading. And, and that's, I don't know if it's cheesy or not to say that it's, it's inspiring, right? I mean, it, it encourages me forward. I love that. What about, what about you, Andy? In some ways, very similar to Jenny. I think the relational analogy was very helpful. The idea of remembering where we where in a relationship with God and what we can learn from our human relationships, we can apply to that, that relationship. That was very helpful. The thing that probably struck me the most came early on when Ruth spoke about asking herself, why am I not changing and why am I not becoming more like Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, despite all the, these years of um, life in the church and being part of the church community and the frustration around that. And it seems to some degree that's where her, her journey with spiritual practices began. And so I think for me, that, that was significant, uh, asking that question, because I've felt that frustration um, and concern and alarm myself, mm. for sure. And then how she then went on to speak about the fact that, you know, there are, you know, there are concrete actions we can take and, and we have certain capabilities as human beings, but 
they're limited and they're not enough to really accomplish growth yeah. and change. Yeah. And the, and the concrete action we can take and the things that we are capable of is to create a space where we can, where we can meet with God, not that we can accomplish our own growth, but we can create this space where uh, we meet with God. And as Jenny was reminding us, you know, where we can encounter God's presence very intentionally and then leave the rest up to him. And so, you know, I, I think as Ruth answered her own question with that explanation, a, a mm. light bulb kind of illuminated for me mm. at that point. I love the language you used for that, Andy, of creating a space for formation, creating a space for our growth. That's a real, that's a compelling way of phrasing it. You guys both touched on this a little bit. The, I was struck by the way Ruth spoke about practices with a sense of both freedom and, and then, and, and as a, certainly as a part of that, addressing uh, the issue of control. And I love the way she said, rightly practiced spiritual practices confront our issues of control. And I think I spend so much of my life struggling to make things happen, like working with all of my strength to get better or stronger or to influence my kids or to influence work. And that striving is just exhausting. I think I feel that exhaustion every single day. And so the simple invitation to, to be in the presence of God and then to let go and rest and trust in the power and the goodness and the love of God is so incredibly appealing to me. That I don't have to come with some kind of an agenda. I don't have to strive. I can just simply come to God and receive whatever it is that the Lord has for me today. Well, friends, at the end of every podcast, we want to leave you with an invitation. I'm sure we will all learn a lot together this season, but we hope that these conversations will take us deeper than just rational knowledge. What if this time together led us all to a deeper experience with Jesus in our everyday lives so that we might grow in relationship with him and be formed by Jesus to be like Jesus? I wonder if you would consider how you approach times of spiritual practice. When you read scripture or pray, are you coming with an expectation? Or are you willing to surrender and simply allow God to do whatever it is that God wants to do for you in that time? And so can I offer you a simple prayer of surrender using hand gestures that you might choose to pray as you begin your times of practice this week? So if you're willing, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, would you join me in this practice? Let's turn our attention to Jesus. You might take a deep breath and remember the promise of Jesus that he will be with us always. And now would you begin this prayer with your hands open, palms facing up. What are you expecting from God today? What do you think God should be doing for you now? And would you imagine holding this expectation in your hands? 
Now will you turn your hands over, palms facing down, as a physical representation of your desire to surrender this expectation. You might even breathe a short prayer. I surrender. Or I trust you with this expectation, Lord. Or maybe even, God, I want to give this to you, but it is hard to let go. Finally, turn your empty hands over, palms facing up once again, this time in a posture to receive whatever God is offering to you today. Take, Lord, and receive. All I have is yours. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for joining us. We're so glad you have been with us. If this has been helpful, would you be willing to take a moment to subscribe, rate, or review the podcast? This will help more people find it, and we pray to be invited into a deeper experience of Jesus in their lives. So heck, why not do all three? Subscribe, rate, and review. You can do it right now. You might even consider sharing this podcast with someone in your life that you think would be blessed by it. And then finally, I hope that you'll join us next week. We'll be asking a really important question. What do spiritual practices do? And maybe an even more important question, what do they not do? Our guest will be Nathan Foster. Nate is the director of community life for Renovare. He's a former professor and a clinical social worker. Today, he teaches and writes incredible books like Wisdom Chaser and The Making of an Ordinary Saint, which is incredible. I hope you will join us. May the peace of Christ be with you this week.